you don't need me to tell you that this Easter is different. Normally on Easter Sunday, churches are packed to overflowing. In fact, you might even come early on Easter just to ensure that you get a good seat. It seems like everything is just better on Easter Sunday. The singing seems to be louder. The colors of clothes seem to be brighter. The smiles seem to be bigger. But this year is different. I'm standing in a room that is largely empty right now. I don't know how you've been singing because I haven't been able to hear you, but I'm sure it's been awesome. I'm not sure what you're wearing, whether it be some bright Easter clothing or maybe some holy pajamas while you're sitting on your couch. This Easter, you know, is different. But the heart of Easter is exactly the same. Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him. And this year, more than ever, that message of hope is what you and I need. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in this message. We're going to be talking about hope and why we can have it. And in fact, to get even more specific, we're going to be talking about hope in the midst of this, in the midst of crisis. <laughs> have you ever had one of those before? Have you ever been in a crisis? We all have. And I think right now, this is one of the very first times that I can remember, if not the first, where the entire world is kind of confronting and dealing with the same crisis. This crisis has been going on for a little while, and over the last few weeks, we've begun to feel more and more some of the outcomes of this crisis. And it hasn't been fun, to put it lightly. Graduations have been postponed, schools are going online, dormitories have been closed, sports are off, jobs have been lost, the economy seems to be in the tank, and thousands of people have died. It's been a lot to think about, hasn't it? It's been a lot to endure been a lot to process, to be honest. And there's been moments over the last month where I think the thing that I've wanted, and maybe you have too, just for a moment, is to be able to just avoid the crisis, to get out of it, to, to deal with it, to have some happiness. That's why I enjoyed watching this video last week. Don't worry about a thing. Cause everyone thinks gonna be alright. I woke up this morning on my horizon. Three little birds were on my doorstep singing sweet songs. Melody blowing true. And they said this message is. They said, don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry about a thing, 
because everywhere it's going to be all right. Isn't that awesome? I have to admit that I watched that more than once last week, and it gave me just a little bit of a reprieve, a, a smile, a, a joy, a happiness, just to forget about the crisis for just at least a few minutes. But as cute as it is, is it true that everything is going to be all right? Just because a cute kid sings a cute song doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Or that's the way that it's going to be. And in fact, when a crisis is so intense and hits so close to home, the reality is we need something more solid and more substantial than a cute song sung by a cute kid. Easter is that thing. Easter hope is what we need. And that's what leads us to our very first fill-in for today. That's this. That there is hope in the midst of every crisis. Not because a cute kid sings a cute song. Not because you just, you know, grin and bear it and pretend like things are better. But because there is hope in the midst of every crisis, whether that be COVID, whether that be cancer, whether that be MS or diabetes or a loss of job or an economy in the tank, whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with, whatever crisis you have been in or are in right now, there is hope for us. There's a sure hope for us in the midst of every crisis. For our Easter study today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at something that happened about two weeks before Easter. This event that happened was a crisis that a family was facing. And it is the absolute perfect setup for Easter and for Jesus' resurrection that would happen two weeks later. We're going to meet a man named Lazarus who was one of Jesus' good friends and was deathly sick. He also had two sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had inquired of Jesus to come to Bethany where they lived and to help them help Lazarus. And that's where we pick it up in John chapter 11. It says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I'm going to pause right there because I want to point out something that is really clear here that John writes about, but may not be clear later unless we take the moment to point it out. And it's this, that even though Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were in a crisis, Jesus loved them. He loved them immensely. In fact, this idea of Jesus loving them comes up a few times throughout this section. They weren't just acquaintances. They weren't just people that Jesus happened to bump into once while he was doing miracles in Bethany. These are people that were like family to him. He cared about them immensely. He loved them a lot. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, let me ask you, if someone you loved was deathly sick and asked for you to come or needed your help, what would you do? You would drop everything and go, wouldn't you? You wouldn't even think twice. 
you'd take time off of work, you'd leave the kids with a sitter, whatever it is, but you would go to help the person that you loved. What did Jesus do? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go to Bethany. Let us go to Judea. What? Jesus knew his good friend, the one that he loved, Lazarus, was sick. The two people that loved him, Mary and Martha, and that he loved, were asking for him to come. And instead of going right away, Jesus decides to stay two days and does nothing, it would seem. At the very least, he didn't do what Mary and Martha had asked them to do, and that is to come right away. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life? Have you ever been praying for something hard, a big thing, a big deal? Praying and asking and getting on your knees and hoping and praying more. And what you ask Jesus to do in that moment and in the middle of that crisis It's not that he's not there, it's just that he's not doing what you're asking him to do. And in those moments, there's been times where we've gotten angry with God, we've doubted him, or maybe to put it this way, it's in those moments that sometimes we feel that either God isn't there or God doesn't care. Well, Jesus stays where he was for two days. And things didn't get better for Lazarus. Let's turn to our next verse. It says this, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Now, now once again, this doesn't seem to make any sense. Why would Jesus not only not go to Bethany, but also be glad that Lazarus died. It almost sounds as if Jesus doesn't care about him. It almost, even worse, sounds like Jesus is kind of cruel to this family. The verse continues, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but now let us go to him. Here's the thing. Jesus, in the midst of crisis for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, had a purpose that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus just did not fathom, did not think about, did not pray about, and did not understand. That through this situation of Lazarus not being healed right away, but actually dying, Jesus was going to do something in their lives through this crisis that was going to be better than if the crisis didn't happen at all. And that's the first thing I want you to know, because being in a crisis can be a pretty hopeless thing. Our second fill-in is this that there can be blessing in the midst of your crisis. I'm not going to say that I can tell you 
what God is specifically doing in your life in the midst of whatever crisis you're going through or specifically in this crisis that we're all facing right now with this worldwide pandemic. I don't know. I don't know God's mind. It'd be presumptuous of me to say that I did. But here's what I do know. Sometimes it can be easy for all of us to get so distracted by the things of this world. And it's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy our lives or our families or the things that he's given to us. He wouldn't give them to you if he didn't want you to enjoy them. He just doesn't want them to have your heart. He doesn't want them to be the reason we get up in the morning or our goal for our lives to accumulate more or just merely happiness in this life and in this world. And so sometimes, sometimes I need to be shook out of my apathy. Sometimes we need a wake-up call and a crisis. Something that stops you in your tracks can be that perfect wake-up call so often for us to recognize that our life on earth is short and eternity is really, really long and that our relationship with God is more important than anything else. To put it this way, we might say that God wants you to be his in relationship with him more than he wants you to be happy. God loves it when we're happy. He loves it when we're experiencing blessings in this life. But that is not his goal for us. He wants you to be his in faith relationship with him more than he wants you to be happy. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago in Bethany, was doing something in the lives of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that had more to do with their relationship with him as Messiah and Savior than it did about their earthly happiness. So, Jesus gets to Bethany. Martha, the sister, one of them, goes out to meet him. Next verse, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In this phrase that Martha uses with Jesus, we have to see that Martha is showing that she's upset with Jesus. She's wondering why he didn't come. She's frustrated that Jesus didn't do what Mary and Martha had asked, which was to come quickly. And that in fact, you know what? He's a little bit late. Next verse. She still shows a little bit of her face. She wants to have a conversation with Jesus. She's, she's up for, for talking about this with Jesus. But I know that even now, Jesus, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha, in her grief, in her trying to handle the crisis that she was in, now that Lazarus is dead, wants to talk it out with Jesus. Jesus replies, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And, and I use that expression because in context we see that Martha's response about knowing that he would rise on the last day was, yes, I, I know there's this resurrection someday, 
But that's not what we were praying for. That's not what we wanted. That's not what we asked for. We don't want to see Lazarus someday. We had been hoping that we would see Lazarus today, Jesus. And and we see in Martha her disappointment. And Jesus replies, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This phrase, I am the resurrection and the life, this is one of the key phrases in our text for today. It's one of the key phrases in the entire Gospel of John, that Jesus isn't just someone who gives resurrection and life to people. He is the way to resurrection and to life. He is the way to life eternal. And honestly, by faith in him, he is our life right now. We experience real life when we're with him. If I could, if I could summarize what Jesus is trying to tell Martha here, because there's a lot packed into this phrase, I'm the resurrection and the life. At its very core, what Jesus is telling Martha is, don't worry so much. I've got this. I've got this. It reminds me of going river rafting in Colorado with my family a few years ago. And we got into the boat with our guide. And as we hit one of those first spots where the rocks got big and the rapids got fast, I'll be honest, I was scared. I I didn't say anything about it, but I was holding on to the rope on the boat with one hand really hard and then my youngest daughter with the other arm really hard. And I think my arms were pretty tense because at one point, the guide in the boat said, you need to relax a little bit, Ben. You need to trust me. I've got this. And the truth is that she did. She navigated those turbulent waters and those rocks perfectly. In hindsight, I should have just let go a little bit, trust that she had it, and enjoyed the ride more. I want you to know our third fill-in. When it comes to times of crisis, Jesus can be trusted in the midst of your crisis. That is what he was trying to get across to Martha. I've got this. You know, we have a choice in the midst of our crises. We can white-knuckle it all the way and try to control circumstances. And if there's anything that this pandemic has taught us as Americans, is that we have far less control than we thought. But we can have our grip tighter, try to control more in the midst of this crisis or just life in general, and we can find out how little control we have. Or we can hear the words of Jesus to Martha today. Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Trust me. I've got this. And we can enjoy life more when we trust him. 
Well, there was a, a second sister. Her name was Mary. And after Martha had her conversation with Jesus, uh, she went um, back to the house, told Mary that uh, Jesus wanted to talk with her. And we pick it up in verse 32. So then when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, have you noticed something about this phrase in the yellow? It's the exact same phrase that Mary's sister Martha had said to Jesus when she first came into contact with him as he arrived to Bethany. But as we see, Mary was not really in the mood to have a long discussion with Jesus. She wasn't in the mood to have a conversation or debate things or to ask for things. What we see in Mary is that in the midst of crisis, she was just sad. She was overwhelmed. She was emotional in her grief. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I I love this verse. It reminds us how much Jesus cares about Mary and in turn cares about us. The, The interesting thing is this, that Jesus knew that he was going to be doing a miracle in just a few minutes with Lazarus. And yet he's moved in spirit. Let's go on to the next verse. It says this, that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And we see Jesus' emotions again, that that Jesus wept. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, even though he allowed them to be in the midst of this crisis, and in some ways, actually was the cause of it because he stayed back for two days before heading to Bethany. Jesus immensely cares and empathizes with you in the midst of your crisis as well. You know, I'm sure that part of what Jesus was seeing here was the difficult effects that death can have on people. You see, God never planned for there to be death. He created us to live forever, but it was sin that brought death into this world. Our first parent's sin, your sin, my sin. Jesus knows how hard it is to face the sinful consequences of this world and specifically death itself. And as we face difficulties, you have a compassionate Savior who cares about you just like he cared about Mary. Our next fill-in is this, that Jesus also loves you in the midst of crisis. Well, the next thing that Jesus does is kind of the, the main event of this section. We'll read about it. Continues. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, 
came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I love how in these verses, Jesus just kind of ties it all together. And he reminds Martha that he had a plan in this, that he was going to do something that would show the glory and power of God. Next verse. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. (laughs) I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Once again, we see Jesus perfectly in control. He's even audibly saying prayers for the benefit of the people around him. Next verse. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let him go. Jesus shows here his power and his sufficiency over death itself. And in this moment, he shows that power and the glory that he had planned to show the people around him. He showed that in the midst of even the deepest crisis, Jesus has power. He has power over death itself. Now let me ask you, have you ever been at the funeral of a loved one? Have you ever experienced a Lazarus-type moment? This Easter, I can't help but think of um, my mother-in-law passing away in January. And at that funeral, in the days that preceded it, her death, we, we prayed a lot. We prayed that God would take away her cancer and heal her. We prayed for a miracle. There was no graveside resurrection for my mother-in-law. And yet remember what I said at the beginning of this sermon. That this resurrection moment two weeks before Easter was just a setup, was just the appetizer, was just the warm-up for a better resurrection of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life of his empty tomb. Lazarus' empty tomb meant that Lazarus was alive. Jesus' empty tomb means that by faith, we all will live forever, even though we die. Before that great American pastor Billy Graham died. A few years before that, he said this. He said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. 
because I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone in the presence of God. Because of Jesus, because of Easter, there is hope in the midst of every crisis and death. Even death itself is only a doorway to life that lasts forever for those who believe. Our fifth fill-in is this. The worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing that can happen to you because the worst thing that can happen to you, that is death, is our doorway to living and being with Jesus forever. I recently read about a, a man's prayer as his mother was deathly sick and I thought his words were worthwhile sharing. He wrote this. He wrote about his mom, or prayed, that is. She's either going to be healed or she's going to be healed. She's either going to live or she's going to live. She's going to be with family or she's going to be with family. She's going to be taken care of or she's going to be taken care of. And someday, Jesus will come back and we all will have our Lazarus moment as Jesus calls, Terry, come out, and Ben, come out, and your name, come out. And we will live because Jesus lives. See, my friends, I want you to know that there is hope in every crisis, not because some cute kid sings a cute song, but because on Easter morning, the tomb was empty and Jesus had conquered the grave. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, to know that there is life after death is the thing that we need in every moment, every situation, and in every crisis of life. We will not always be able to understand the why behind the things that we face. But as we see how you worked in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus today, may it be a reminder for us that you are perfectly in control and that you have a plan for us in all things. Lord, help us every day to live with eternity in mind. To use our days and our lives to make a difference and to enjoy the life that you give. But to look forward to the day that we're with you forever in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.